Good morning, everyone. My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to see you all. Um, particular welcome if you're new. So glad that you're here. Uh, and I'm sure that you, like all of us, have things in life that we are unclear about, right? Uh, when I was a teenager, I used to coach on a cricket camp each year. Uh, and on this camp, some of the other coaches were ex-Australian players, ex-state players. Uh, you might have heard of people like Doug Walters, uh, Dean Jones, Kerry O'Keefe. Doesn't matter if those names mean nothing to you, you need to know they meant everything to me. Uh, at the end of each day of coaching, there was a coach's room where kind of all the coaches would go in and have a food and drink and a hangout at the end of the day. And for me as a young coach, I thought that, that's the ultimate place to be, in a room with these guys. But I just didn't know if me as kind of the youngest guy, if I, I didn't know if I was really qualified to be in that room and be among those people. And I thought, if I could just get in there, it'd be incredible. But I just felt this something inside me I didn't really know. And I, I just waited outside every day, three days, just going, I don't know if I can come in. I was unclear, completely not confident. And I missed out on something that I still am annoyed about today. And the worst bit is that uh, turns out I was actually very much allowed to go in. It was completely clear. If you are a coach, you are allowed into the coach's room. But for a mix of reasons, it felt very unclear to me, and I'm, I'm, you can't tell, I'm very annoyed about it still. The passage we're looking at this morning wants to give us clarity on one of the key questions in life, and it's one of the key questions in the Bible, and it's a question that the Bible itself is very clear about. But I think it's something that we can often in ourselves feel unclear about. This is the question, are you fit for God's presence? Are you able, qualified, acceptable? Are you fit to come into the presence of the living God? And this passage holds out with great clarity one of the central blessings of the Bible and Christian faith, which is that sinners like you and me can be forgiven by God and made perfect to draw near to him forever. The author of Hebrews wants to make it extremely clear how that can happen, which is something we need to hear because even though it's clear in the Bible, we can often feel unclear. Forgiveness, being fit for God's presence can be unclear for a whole bunch of reasons. It might be that you are very conscious of the sin in your life. Uh, the weight and guilt of your sin makes you feel so unfit, so unworthy to come in God's presence. You just feel unclean unworthy, unforgiven, unfit. Maybe there's sins that you are stuck in now, sins that haunt you from your past, that when you think about coming anywhere near God, you just get that, that feeling in the pit of your stomach, right? And it just makes you feel, am I really forgiven? You read the sign that says, coaches allowed into the coaches' room, Christians allowed into God's presence, and you think, Maybe I just need to stand outside. Maybe I'm not worthy to come in. You're unclear. Maybe you're just unclear because you're not really sure what the Bible says. You've never really read the Bible and it's a bit of a mystery. You've heard things online or in the news or from friends, but you've never actually looked at it for yourself. Just unclear. Or maybe you've been to different churches in the past that have taught different things. Some churches you've maybe been to have said you need to have a, an experience of the Spirit 
And that's how you'll have clarity that you know that God is with you and for you. Or maybe you've heard that to be accepted by God, you have to do particular things. There's, there's one way to get in, but then there's things you have to do to stay in. Or maybe there's just the, the message of the world that you, you just need to be a good person. If you just with intention live, try to be a good person, that will be good enough for God. There's a whole bunch of reasons why we can be unclear, aren't there? And so, are you clear? Are you clear on your acceptance before God? Are you confident that you are fit to be in God's presence? That if lightning struck this church again right now, and yes, I say again because a few months ago we did get hit by lightning, not to freak you out, it was okay, no one got it, it was fine. But if it did, and if it wasn't fine, and we all got electrocuted and sent before the living God, would you be confident of the welcome that you'd receive in his presence? This passage says there's a way that you can be and is a wonderful blessing that it is possible to know deep in your heart that God accepts me, he's forgiven me, that I can be safe and loved in his very presence. This passage wants to offer you a wonderful blessing this morning. God wants to offer you a wonderful blessing this morning. And the way the passage does that is by teaching us the negative, how you can't be made fit for God, and then the positive, how you can be. So let's get stuck in. Point one, the negative, the law can't make you fit for God. Here's how you can't be made fit to enter God's presence. Have a look at verse one. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The law, in particular the Old Testament animal sacrifices, can never make you perfect. Now what does that mean, perfect? Uh, It's not perfect in every way, in every area of life, that you'll have perfect teeth, be able to bowl like Pat Cummins and be perfect for your job or get perfect UD marks. No, it's perfect for something. Perfect to draw near to God. That word perfect means uh, reaching the place you need to be, being complete, being ready, having what you need, being made fit for purpose. Uh, Sam Kerr, our women's soccer superstar, is the perfect soccer player. She's the best. Except right now, she's not perfect to play soccer. She's got a calf injury and we're all praying and hoping she can play tomorrow night and beat Canada. She is not fit for the purpose of scoring very many goals. She needs to be made perfect, fit, fit for her purpose. The Old Testament law and its sacrifices can't get the job done of making us fit for perfect purpose, making us perfect to enter God's presence. They can't do that. How do you know that it doesn't work? Verse 2. It's clear that, uh, sorry, verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? See, it's clear that animal sacrifices don't work because you have to keep doing them again and again and again. If something works, you don't have to keep doing it, right? Uh, imagine you go to hospital, right, and you've got to get surgery on your knee and you go under and you get out of the surgery and you come out and you say, how did it go? They say, it worked. Fantastic. And then 
your knee's still a bit sore, and a month later, it kind of hasn't gone away, and it's like, oh, I've just got to do another surgery. Okay, so you come back in, another surgery, you wake up, and say, how did it go? They say, it worked. Fantastic. Six weeks later, still sore, back in the hospital, another surgery. How did it go? It worked. Fantastic. Back in the hospital, surgery, another six weeks. If you have to keep doing something again and again, you can tell, right? It's not working. If animal sacrifices actually could make you fit to enter God's presence, you wouldn't have to keep doing them. It makes sense, right? And yet, what do you see throughout the Old Testament? The same animal sacrifices offered again and again and again. They don't work. Why? Verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Animal sacrifices don't work because they can't take away your sin, not in any full or final way. And if your sin isn't dealt with, then you are unfit, not ready, not able to draw near to God. Because God is holy, right? He's, he's sinless, he's perfect. And that which is impure, sinful, far from perfect, can't be anywhere near him. It's like how you can't have an open flame next to a tank of petrol. Well, you can, but something's going to explode and eviscerate and not go, well, that's like a sinner coming into the presence of a holy God. If you want to draw near to God without exploding, you need your sins dealt with, forgiven, taken away. And there's no animal sacrifice out there that can deal fully, fully and finally with my sin in here. Animal sacrifices don't get the job done when it comes to making us fit for God's presence. But they do get a job done. Do you see? They don't make you perfect and able to have relationship with God, but they do do something. Verse 3. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. The Old Testament sacrifices do the job of being the worst alarm clock ever. They constantly remind you, eh, you're a sinner, eh, you're guilty, eh, you are not ready to draw near to God. That's all they could do. They'd bring your sin to the front of your mind as you see that animal standing there slaughtered for you, regularly reminded that you are not fit for God's presence. You are a deep sinner, and you need a better way. You need a better way, which is what verse 1 is talking about. Did you see it? It says that the law contains a shadow of the good things to come. The law and its sacrifices weren't meant to deal with your sin or make you fit to draw near to God in any full or final way. They were meant to give you seeds of truth that anticipate that point us forward to the thing that can the reality the true good thing to come the law was meant to teach us that we are sinners and that sin needs to be dealt with in order to draw near to god and that the price of our sin costs death and it was meant to point us to the better thing to come the true temple the true priest the better sacrifice and the original readers really needed to hear this. If you've been with us previous weeks, you'll remember that the original readers were under pressure from the world to turn away from Jesus 
and back to Judaism. That's where they came from. They were persecuted, outcasted from their friends and family for becoming Christians. And they're thinking, maybe it won't be too bad if I go back to the old way. It'll be easier. I'll fit in more. And maybe it still kind of works. Hebrews is saying, whatever you do, don't go back. The Old Testament sacrifices cannot deal with your sins, and so they cannot enable you to draw near to God. Now, I take it that no one here has a goat in the backyard right now, and you're thinking, come on, Josh, hurry up so I can get home and get that cute goat and slit its throat and sprinkle the blood around my house. If your neighbor saw you doing that, they'd probably call the police. And Hebrews says it wouldn't do anything for you anyway. What's this got to do with us? Two things. First, if you feel the pressure to turn from Jesus, not totally away from him to something completely godless, but to something that just doesn't stand out so much, something that's a bit more acceptable to the world around us, it won't get you in any trouble, maybe just trying to be a good person, but in a way that you can still try and be connected to God but not be so radical for this guy Jesus, that is a very dangerous thing. Beware of that pull. See, it's totally acceptable in our society to do religious rituals, right? To, to sign the cross, to pray five times a day, to go to church at Christmas and Easter, to, to not eat foods at certain times of the year. No one, will, no one will bust you for that. But following Jesus in a radical way, that's just way too out there. And we kind of like doing rituals, right? We, we like them because we like when it feels like there's something we can do to help, right? Uh, it feels good, like we're kind of earning a bit of God's favour, earning our way into his good books, into his presence. God will be happy with me. But no, this is the second thing. Do religions and any attempt to do things to make you fit for God don't work. See, God's Old Testament covenant system was a, a do religious system. Uh, if you do these things, then you'll be in right relationship with God. You'll be able to be in his presence and experience all the blessings and benefits that come from it. But it didn't work. It couldn't make anyone perfect to draw near to God. And if the do system that the God of the universe set up didn't work, what chance does any other attempt to do things to make yourself right and fit for God have? None. Actually, less than none. No other religion, which they're all based on do, if you look at them. No other attempt that you can come up with to make up for your sin will do anything to your standing before God. Have you ever tried to make up for your sin? Trying to be a good person, do a bit of charity, give some money. Or here's one I reckon lots of us do. Uh, put yourself in a kind of purgatory. Where, where you don't let yourself kind of have a good thing because of punishment for your sin, or, or you feel like you can't come to God for a while until you've kind of paid off a bit of that sin, and then a few days later when I feel a bit better and my sin's kind of a bit further behind me, then I can come back to him, and I've kind of paid it off a little bit. None of that will have any positive effect on your standing before God. If the do system that God instituted himself didn't work, no doing attempt will. See, God in his wisdom gave the law to Israel in order that the whole world, 
that us, as we look on, would learn from their experience that there is nothing you can do to make yourself more acceptable to God or fit for his presence. Negative lesson learned. So, how can we? Point two, the positive, Jesus' once-for-all-time sacrifice can. See, the reality that the shadow pointed to is the better sacrifice offered by a better priest. Have a look at verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sinner offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This is a quote from Psalm 40 by King David, King of Israel. But Hebrews is saying that this is also the words of the true king, Jesus. And the message is simple. It's got two parts. First, God isn't pleased by animal sacrifices. Seen that already, that the death of an animal over there can't deal with my sin in here. There's another reason why God isn't pleased by sacrifices. It comes out in a bunch of places in the Old Testament, You see it in places like 1 Samuel 15. Here's one example. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it is better to to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. The most basic thing that God wants is obedience. Sacrifices were meant to be offered out of obedience, a a display of obedience, springing from hearts that wanted to listen to God and do what he says. But what happened? Well, people started to offer sacrifices in place of obedience. It doesn't really matter what I do. I, I just offer a sacrifice. God will be chill with it. It'll be great. Sacrifice was obedient. Without obedience is useless. God isn't pleased by it. What does please him? Second part of Psalm 40, quoted in Hebrews, that Jesus took on a body and displayed total obedience by submitting to his Father's will and offering his own body as a true and better sacrifice. See, not not an unwilling, unworthy animal sacrifice offered in place of obedience, but a willing, immeasurably valuable sacrifice offered in total obedience. And in doing so, verse 9, he did away with the first order to establish a second, where verse 10, by God's will, through the willing sacrifice of his son, we've been sanctified once for all. By Jesus' death in our place, we've been cleansed, washed, all of our sins taken from us and laid on Jesus, who paid for them completely. All the sins you've done in the past, the ones you'll do in the future, and the sins you're stuck in right now, he has dealt with completely. A proper, perfect cleansing once for all, so that we can draw near to God forever. Jesus is the better and perfect sacrifice. He's he's the reality that the shadow pointed to. Jesus gets the job done when it comes to dealing with sin and making us fit for God's presence. 
In fact, Jesus' sacrifice is so much better that the author kind of can't stop and he wants to compare the Old Testament priests to Jesus' priesthood. He's kind of uh, comparing really the, the unfinished with the finished. Have a look at verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. When you picture Jesus, how do you picture him? I don't know if you ever tried that before. We just take a second and think about it. If you were to picture Jesus, what, what do you picture him? The answer matters because it says something significant about his work. Not so much his haircut, but Hebrews says that the priest's job is never finished, and so they stand day after day offering the same sacrifices again and again, the sacrifices that cannot make us perfect for relationship with God. But Jesus' work is done. Do you remember what he said on the cross? It is finished. His sacrifice is perfect, sufficient for all time, never to be repeated again. And so he sits down, the work done. It's all summed up by verse 14. This is kind of the key verse for the whole section. If you're someone who wants to memorize verses or if you think that would be a good idea, this is the verse to memorize. Verse 14, by a single, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. All who have faith in Jesus have been made perfectly pure and righteous in his sight today, tomorrow, next year, forever. Why? Because I've... No. Because Jesus, through a single offering for sin, has made you perfect to draw near to God. And you can't be more perfect than perfect. Just hear and sit in the full force of these words that if you trust Jesus, you can't get any more perfect. You can't be any more fit for God's sight and relationship with him than you are right now. Do you believe that? Are you clear on that? It's true. This is the central blessing of the Bible that sins are dealt with by a perfect, once-for-all-time sacrifice to make you perfect and fit for God's presence forever. You can't lose it. You can't add to it. You can't make it any better than it is. You can't get more perfect than perfect. Are you clear? The author is at pains to make it clear. And he wanted to make it clear to his original readers who were tempted to go back to the old thing. And so he does one more thing. He, he shows them that you can trust that this is the way to be made fit for God because it was always God's plan. He didn't change plans when the old one didn't work out. No, he was always teaching that negative lesson. And so he shows them that even the Old Testament says this. Have a look at verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I'll remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, 
there is no longer any offering for sin. This is a quote from Jeremiah 31 back in the Old Testament, which, which promised and foresaw what would happen in Jesus. It looked forward to a time where forgiveness would reign, where continual sacrifices for forgiveness would not be needed anymore, where forgiveness would be so complete that you can say, God doesn't even remember my sin. It's not even in his mind. Instead of being reminded of your sin every time you sacrifice, kind of repeatedly faced with the knowledge that you are not fit, now you can look to Jesus' one-time sacrifice and know that you're forgiven forever. And more than that, now you are filled with God's Spirit. And so you're not resigned to being ruled by sin anymore, but you desire not to sin. And you're equipped in growing to say no to sin. This was never a plan B. This is the reality that the shadow always pointed to. What an incredible blessing. There is nothing you can do to make yourself fit for God's presence. But Jesus, by his perfect once for all time sacrifice, has qualified you perfectly for relationship, closeness and intimacy with God. And so let me ask you again, are you clear on your position before God? Are you clear on your fitness to enter his presence? Or are you unclear? If you're not sure, because this is all new to you, or maybe it's a bit different to things that you've heard before, or you feel like maybe you've got a bit of a fuzzy picture of what's going on, but you want to explore more and kind of get that high-definition res picture I want to say keep exploring. Come to our life series, which Martin talked about, where we want to help you look at the claims of Jesus in detail, where you can ask your questions and see what it's about for yourself. If you're someone who trusts Jesus, though you're a sinner, though you struggle with your sin, when you think about your standing before God now, does your heart warm with the knowledge of his love and his acceptance of you? Or do you still feel, feel fearful and anxious and weighed down by the guilt of your sin, where you see the sign that says, coaches allowed into the coaching room, Christian allowed into the presence of God, but you feel a bit unclear, should I just stand outside? I still feel unworthy to come in. Are you unsure? And unclear. Learn and take to heart the negative lesson that there is nothing you can do to make yourself more acceptable or fit for God's presence. And that the small things that you do do to make yourself feel better and closer to God don't achieve any of the things you're hoping for. They just remind you you're a sinner. The alarm clock over again. Instead, learn and take to heart the positive lesson that Jesus by his perfect once-for-all-time sacrifice, has made you perfect in God's sight, fit to come into his presence, that you can't be any more perfect than perfect. He's dealt with all your sin, not some of it, but all of it, past, present, and future. Let that truth grow its roots deep in your soul so that you can say confidently, lightning strike. Come, take me now. I know what my future holds. I know where I stand with God. I can be clear and confident that I'm deeply loved 
and I'm deeply accepted in your presence because I'm completely forgiven and made perfect in Christ. This is the great news that Howard and Tricia are involved in sharing in Belgium. They think it's so significant for everyone to know and experience that instead of making their retirement all about them, they've made their lives about giving people an opportunity to respond to this great blessing that God holds out to each of us. And so how will you respond? Lisa's going to come up and lead us in prayer of response.